welcome to AMO Kenzoku, episode 45. Um, we are a group of four bubblegum crisis boomer otaku who wanted an, an excuse to talk about anime, manga, and any related subjects we find interesting. The Kenzoku are... Hey all, I'm Mike. Hey, I'm Nick. I'm Dylan. And I am your host tonight, Sam. Uh, this episode is being recorded on February 1st, 2024. And today we are discussing uh, the anime Nia Under 7. So uh, with that, uh, Hashin. Um, I guess I didn't ask you guys uh, ahead of time, I forgot, but does anybody have any stuff um, they wanted to follow up on from previous episodes? Uh. Yeah, I don't know if it's quite a follow up or what, but I'm just I I started finishing watching um Isekai Ojisan. And oh, I I forgot that that Yeah. One gosh, that sucks that that show got interrupted. Uh yeah. when it came back, it is it is fabulous. Uh I I might I think I might actually change that to having my favorite um opening of the uh of the year it's so good it's really good i mean it is i recall gosh that was like ep 15 we recorded i know only know because i uh topic i'll talk about later but that season was like isekai oji song call of the night abyss 2 and kong ming i think it was one heck of a season for like banger openings so yeah mm-hmm. that was a really solid season in hindsight uh Yes, I don't know if that one counts for this season or last season, but uh, it it coming back from its hiatus, um, it's it's fabulous. It's so it's so ludicrous and wonderful, and it's uh, it, it only has a few super cringe pause on the airplane scenes. <laughs> <laughs> that that whole show is 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 cringe to varying degrees but not yeah definitely not all of those are uh pause on the airplane <laughs> yeah and... i got to, i got to one of them on my flight and i was like god dang it i want to finish the last episode but this just got whoa okay i gotta pause <laughs> and there is not a va on earth who could possibly fulfill the role of Ojisan other than koyas right are we in agreement there oh yeah he's perfect he yeah is, it's he was born for that role <laughs> so that's that's my silly that's my silly aside well, yeah. Thanks for the heads up that that actually came out again. Yeah, because I will definitely have to go back and finish that. Yeah, and uh, Oyas is is doing pretty well. He's showing up in all kinds of anime these days, which uh, also great because I love him. Resurgence. Yeah. All right. Any, if uh, nobody else has anything, we'll uh, get into Nia Under Seven. So. Nia Under 7, just a little background before we get into it. Um, it started out as a doujin, of all things, by uh, Yoshitoshi Abe after they finished Lane, apparently. Um, I meant to go look up the doujin, but uh, I kind of ran out of time. And uh, also, it's it's really hard because there's actually a manga um, that came out after the doujin, um, and that's what shows up everywhere and also searching for any anime title plus doujin um gets you a lot of stuff that you may not be looking for um <coughs> safe surf, yeah. safe surf, search on yeah and uh 
and may God be with you. Um, the so it got serialized in um, Kadokawa Monthly Ace Next, which um, boy, that's a obscure one. Um, at least to me, uh, from nineteen ninety nine, um, from October nineteen ninety nine to January two thousand one. So roughly a year, ran for two volumes, um, was compiled in two volumes. Um, then they did the TV show from April to July of 2000s. It was just one core, uh, 13 episodes. Lane, um, just to give you people a little bit more perspective, was uh, July 1998 to September 98. So they're really like one right after the other, considering like how long it takes to spin up a anime production uh, this is also still triangle staff i think this might have been triangle staff's last thing i well really their last thing i guess is technically wasted 13 pat labor but they didn't finish that um didn't they do high bono reme as well oh yeah mm, maybe they did i know that... oh, i guess that's that's an abe thing for sure but yeah i don't know if yeah it's triangle triangle or not somebody check that while i blather blabber on um so uh, directed by uh, Tomokazu Tokoro, which I didn't recognize him, and I didn't really notice anything notable by him um, that much. Uh, and and that that's pretty much Nia. It is almost the opposite of uh, Lane. Does somebody want to give a kind of brief overview of Nia Under 7? About uh, Dylan, do you have a um, summary? It's about a poor wannabe college student with a freeloading alien roommate living in a town that's reminiscent of 1960s Japan. It's kind of like it's in some ways it's it's kind of like Maison Ikoku. But it's also very not. But uh, okay. it, I was going to say that too. Okay. Yeah, wow, I was really. just having that thought. Actually, yep. holy cow! Yep. I would not like, have pulled that. I'm not Maze sure. Maison Koku, but... but with a cat-like alien instead of obnoxious neighbors. <laughs> right, but but you definitely get like all like all, all the weird other people that are in the building and around are all very dysfunctional. Yeah, all dysfunctional yep. weirdos. Um, so I think I, I don't have a pithier summary. Um, I, I and you have the good. disruptive element poking holes in the walls and or ceiling. I th- yep. I think the only other thing I would add is that, um, in this version of Japan, it is basically super normalized that aliens crash landed there some number of years ago, and they are integrated citizens within the country of Japan, and uh, they have rankings so to speak, uh, going as the the range that was inferred was going from under five to plus five. Yes. And but there are classifications that go below, but they are not technically tracked by the government. This is so wild. Um, yeah. The, when you guys say that it's kind of um, tough to, I don't know, describe it. I think that's that that in particular is a uh important feature of the show that almost bugs me about it uh but also is the charm of it i feel like it's a it's kind of a show 
a little bit about nothing. Um, and Nick, you had said it, you had said on a previous episode that Call of the Night reminded you of this. You want to justify yourself there? So at, at when we were recording, this was, so this was like a year and a half, yeah, a year and a half ago at 15. And at that point, I had only seen about three episodes of Call of the Night. That's what aired. I feel like early on, there were parallels because not a lot happens in both shows early on. Um, Call of the Night later diverges greatly, I will say. They they are no longer at all similar. But I think early on, you have a main character who's kind of an oddball student who doesn't fit in. And then you have a partner who is very not normal compared to the rest of the world in uh Nasuna and Nia and they those those two characters kind of dictate the life pace of the other is is how I think kinda saw it. Other than that I, I don't think there is much similarity. I, I think I much more agree with Dylan's um description that it's like it's like Maison Ikoku but modernized with Abe's kind of zany sensibilities attached to it boy i i i'm not sure i'm on board with the maison ikoku characterization I, but it is missing a very obvious key element of maison ikoku there is no weird strained like romantic tension that's for sure yeah. that is completely yeah. do- uh, mostly not completely yeah, but, well, Gen- yeah. genzo genzo is definitely a, a factor in, in the show um at various points um, but I like going back to what you were saying, Sam, um, about how it's a show about nothing. I think that is its charm. Is mm-hmm. I think the definition, the 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 the, uh, the secondary title, domestic poor animation, kind of yeah. encapsulate this title better than any other <laughs> yeah. phrase possible. And I think that's kind of why I still think back to this show. Is there's really not even back when it aired till now. There's really nothing that compare like i can't compare the show to anything one-to-one there's elements that i think i can or you know general themes but like overall there's not another show that's really like nia i feel at least and at least um is mm, pleasant to watch (laughs) that's a good qualifier (laughs) uh one of the things that that uh i thought was interesting about it like theme wise was how it's very uh vibes heavy much like uh the previous show they did lane and uh other abe attached things like i think of um uh technolize which i think he only did character designs on it but it also has a very vibes heavy uh plot or feeling to it where there's not a lot that's concrete about like what the there's no like big overarching um conflict at least not anything that's spelled out a lot of stuff is implied and you just kind of ride the vibes for 13 episodes uh and stuff happens i don't know what do you think dylan um yeah, I I agree with that. I I do want to slightly disagree with the the director Tokoro Tomokazu not having done stuff. He he's been a real strong key animator back into like the 80s like back onto being key animator for like Honeyamis and 
a ton of other stuff. And I think interestingly, um, for Lane, uh, he was the uh, nav. He did all the Navi layout and like the computer work there. I think, mm. um, which was kind of a uh an interesting thing you're like oh okay all right and then that i think feeds into i'm pretty sure that it was very involved in when they have their uh their retro their retro game video game <laughs> challenge best <laughs> episode that was great by far um so that that sort of uh computer stuff uh there was another thing where he did uh like some kind of interesting computer graphics oh yeah for uh did for for Utena the movie did the computer graphics production like stuff in there so he and he's been a very talented uh key animator back to like Demon City Shinjuku and then like Bubblegum Crisis and then throughout like all the 90s and 2000s and continues mm-hmm. to do uh more yep. stuff still uh, so. still relatively active yeah. recently just looking at his his work as just directing so nia under seven was his directorial debut i believe followed by he he did direct haiban or mma as well oh, okay and then he did uh but it was not um but uh haibana was not uh triangle staff it was a new studio yeah. newer studio called radix ace entertainment but um yeah, I did not. Uh, Tomokazu Tokoro still directed, and then uh, he, I mean, he even directed uh, the first four episodes of Helsing Ultimate. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it so, was Helsing Ultimate. Uh, was the other? That's a pretty big deal. I yeah, think. real cool, well done thing that was involved in. Um, anyways, in my defense, I, I was I was mostly interested in like directing or any kind mm. of writing thing. So, and also, this this is what I get for looking at Wikipedia instead of going to A and for their, uh, their credits. Yeah, I gotta. I double check. I was already on Wikipedia, so. Um, yeah. One of the other things that I, I, I think, because I just uh, I, I shared and watched, there was a really cool uh, fifteen-minute. Um, if you look on YouTube, uh, if you look up Abe, you look from Lane to Nia. There's like a fifteen-minute video, um, really cool interview. One and he kind of goes across more than just Lane to their other career stuff, but says that pretty much like right as they were finishing up Lane, that they're like that Ueda Yasuki, the producer, went to him and was like, hey, we need to do something that's a little lighter. And he's literally saw, like, pretty much kind of like a Dojin scrub, like, like two-page thing that he had drawn about, like, this kind of, like, alien that was, like, living in a hot springs. And he was like, yeah, do that. Come back in two weeks with something. <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of, like, came back with the the rough kind of outline and stuff and then they iterated through and it seems like it was kind of like at least as i understood it i could be wrong seems like it was almost kind of like simultaneously done as like an anime and then he was kind of like doing the the manga and the doujin like work kind of at the same time kind of like as um sadamoto was doing like for the eva manga where it was kind of like okay it was a tv and a manga and they're both related and slightly different but also the same um mm-hmm. however yeah there the manga ran for two vols which is basically the same number of stories as the tv i think manga has 14 chapters whereas the tv is is 13 episodes so when i was re-watching this show i was like i don't think i like this <laughs> um <laughs> but as it went on i was like no you know i actually do um but I think that might be in spite of some of the stuff they do. Uh, Nia in particular really does not want me to enjoy the show. 
but she's just like utterly unlikable. I don't know how you guys. She's meant to be insufferable, her. right? Like, mm-hmm. and, sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah, she is insufferable for sure. But um, I think that's part of her charm, though. It's like she's completely mm-hmm. gives no. Well, let me give some context <laughs> that like okay. she doesn't. Every every other character's life is pretty routine, mundane, and mundane. Let's let's just say, right? Like they, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Mayuko wakes up at four a.m., goes to her multiple part-time jobs, go to cram school, study, stay up late, clean up the onsen, you know, stay up late, study, go to sleep, wash, rinse, repeat, and you know, everybody else who works at the onsen, like, um, like Yoshida and and uh, and. Kotomi and the the and the boss like everybody's just living pretty mundane daily lives. Like Mia is the one thing that character that kind of throws some sort of action into everything, whether it's good or bad is you know obviously up to debate. But mm-hmm. yeah, I I do agree though. Like, but you know what's interesting is when Nia's not there, the show is completely different, right? Because yeah. what the the sex third and se- third and second to last episodes she's basically gone for two straight episodes like completely gone right not even yeah uh around at all and the show's pace and everything just completely takes a u-turn like it gets a very melancholy and kind of you know depressing so Mm -hmm. i think she adds this kind of vibrant note to the show and as long as it's in small doses i think she is uh, she is a critical piece of it but anytime she's around for too long she because like her whole gimmick is i'm hungry feed me and i'm gonna do what i want that's basically her whole her personality right? is basically that of a cat that can talk <laughs> yeah i guess and, and I mean, cats are real jerks always <laughs> bugging you for food she doesn't really care about property damage completely selfish right like gathering and leaving all sorts of unwelcome gifts around as presents <laughs> mm-hmm. so what's what's the first thing you see in the opening of the uh of the opening credits the yawning cat you see a, a cat in a you see a junkyard cat yeah coming out yeah um i guess i, I kind of i don't know i disagree like I I kind of mm. I love Nia. She's great. If she was my roommate, I would I would lose my mind. I would I would <laughs> I would be like Mayuko screaming and losing my mind all the dang time. It's not to interject, but, but speaking of Mayuko screaming, I I I've got to say Miyamura Yuko and and uh, Ayako Kawasumi are like the perfect duo. In oh yeah. my god, I've... the the VAs are so good, and then you've got Fumiko Orikasa as uh, mm-hmm. Chiaki, and she's yeah, outrageous. I mean, like those three are so good. Yeah, they're stellar. Um, I mean, I think this is one of Ayoko Kawasumi's first main leading roles because I think she, her first one was Melfina and Outlaw Star, and then I think she did something else, and then she did Mayuko, and this was and oh, oh she did uh, Maharo, of course. Uh-huh. But that, Every, that everyone's favorite maid. <laughs> but that's after this, isn't it? Maromatic was two thousand one, I think. So very right after this. Okay. I say. But just barely, but yeah. Barely, but and like then, just and then every the, show for the next twenty years has had her as a lead. L- literally, like 
I think it's like well, a third of the show well, since then. And, she's and then and then she was cast as Saber, and of course that's been her career basically <laughs> for the last fifteen years, unfortunately, in my opinion, um, because Saber is such a milk toast bland character, and 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 I think with Mayuko, you really see her range, right? Like she yeah. goes, she's mm-hmm. just calm and collected and depressed really well, and then you see her hear her scream like ah, it's like this, it's really unique, like it's. It's so wonderful. great, but yeah. their chemistry, like their chemistry, is perfect as far as like the VA do. I mean, I don't think they ever worked like together again after this. I mean, uh, for, uh, for those that don't recall, Miyamoto Yuko is most famous for being Asuka and, and Eva, but she still does things to this day. But Nia is definitely, I don't, I can't imagine another person doing Nia as well. Oh yeah, it's, it's that that voice is just yeah, and it's it's, got little, it's very grating, and it's really cool as Nia too because like. She doesn't sound at all like, you know, like you think of like her Asuka voice. It's totally mm-hmm. different sounding, which, you know, is a sign of a good professional. You're like, oh, I didn't really. Realize. I feel I feel oh, like really? I, I feel like the tone is identical. Huh. So. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm with Dylan, I think. I, I think she she does a good job of playing it. Really? A totally different sound. I, 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 I think Miyamoto Yuko is one of the few VAs who only has one voice, but it's so hmm. good that they use her in very specific roles. But I feel like every character she plays sounds very similar. Hmm. I mean, That's certainly it sounds like her voice, but it doesn't. To me, it's the way she plays it is different. I don't know. It, maybe it's just because I hate Nia so much that... <laughs> Differently. And, and and but then when you think about it she like when you think about oscar as well she's pretty insufferable as well at times so yeah but her character has way more depth than than nia does so uh definitely. way more i don't know i mean nia has yeah. her own baggage right she just does a good job of covering it up because she is content with being the i mean we can get into the topic of like themes in the show but like she is probably the most discriminated against character in the show constantly let me interject here and say that Nian Under 7 was actually the second time they worked together because Aisha Klan Klan was... Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> she Star. was Aisha Klan Klan. Oh, my God. I totally forgot. Well, I mean, Outlaw wow. Stars, to me, is such a legendary show. I mean, that was that show's so good. Yeah. So, sorry, I had to... Like, nope, actually, they had worked together. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. yeah, I feel terrible. Yeah, 100%. And, but again, I feel like I shall clan clan. Like, you can immediately tell Taiko Kawasaki. And not always Miyamoto Yuko. Like, she, again, it's her, it's her one voice, and that's fine. But um, uh, what I was saying was, I, Nia, I, I, don't, I, I contest Nia not being a complex character because she is discriminated against a lot. And she, I think it really does, like, affect her but she plays it off in a more comical way because that's how she copes with it is my opinion i, I don't know how they don't really thinks. well I'll, I'll let somebody else talk about it mike what do you think hmm. i'm trying to piece together my thoughts about nia but i do think there's nick's right that there's more to her than she's letting on it's interesting how much of the show is kind of about characters fronting. Hmm. And their That's a good point. inner versus outer lives. I think my my beef with Nia is yeah, sure she has a discrimination thing, but like it, my beef with a lot of the show is they don't really address a lot of these things. Like for instance, the romance subplot that they kind of hint at with Kenzo, they don't really do anything with it. Um, they kind of halfway do these things where they bring in these plots and then just kind of let them go. I th- like, I think that was a very intentional choice 
to kind of indicate like have it emulate real life because things don't like have a distinct clean start and finish in real life for many people a lot of times a lot of times things can drag on things that aren't important in the grand scheme of things can feel really important to you individually like case in point Mayuko was the only one that really noticed when Nia was gone for a few days, and it clearly <laughs> affected her. Everyone's like, well, she's, it's freaking Nia. She'll come back. She'll, she always comes back. Like, nobody else seemed affected by it at all. But Mayuko was, like, borderline hitting, you know, depressive states because of it. So, Which I enjoyed. I, I, yeah, I really appreciated and, that. And I think that, to, and I, I get what you're saying about certain elements not being developed. I think that's just, that's, again, an intentional choice because they want this show to exist outside of the 13 episodes we watch like there was clearly history before it and there's clear life is clearly going on after it and that's okay i feel like that's a cop out though because i mean it's their job as storytellers to kind of tell a story and certainly you can, you don't have to like wrap everything up but i feel like they could have uh focused more um like Heck, cut cut the whole Genzo romance thing. Like he didn't really do anything. Like you you don't have to leave these threads unpulled on. Like a lot of the side aliens things who were there. Like I thought that they were going to do something with that uh that alien who was the actor. And... He appears like at the very beginning and the very end, right? Like, yeah, for like a few yeah. minutes. Yeah, that was that was hilarious There's to me. Nothing like so. Like I don't know. I I feel like maybe there's. I don't know. I think that was a mistake. I don't, I, don't know that. You know, and I think that yeah, was I a very clear design. I, I'm, I think Mike and I are on, along the same lines. I think that the show clearly is... I think these are all very intentional choices, and I think it's either going to jive with you or it won't. And I think, Sam, for you, it clearly didn't. And I think that's fine. This show is definitely not for everybody. This is a show that I... It is difficult for me to recommend to some people because it's a show where very little happens. Like... In overall, like you, you see, it's it's such it's it's one. This is probably one of the most slice of lifey shows, in my opinion. By my definition of just, it's very day to day, and not the amount of conflict and extreme change to drive a plot is very minimal. Like this, like between episodes, like it's everybody's doing the same thing every day, basically, with minor deviations here and there, with no real conflict. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's for me, it's a vibes show, and I did enjoy the vibes, but I, I don't, you know, I didn't need to see every episode. Mia is a jerk, and Maiko is poor, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then at the end, in the last like three episodes, they really kind of pull it to pull things together to give you kind of a more of a cohesive plot to it, which I really liked. I really enjoyed the end of it. I thought that was they they said. In my opinion, they said a lot uh, in the last three episodes. I think we, I agree with you there for sure. They finished up very strongly. I, I did really, really like how it wrapped up. Without really anything changing either. So, yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Sam's complaint reminded me of a show that I really did have that complaint about, which was this ugly yet beautiful world that just kept teasing you that it was going to turn into an action show and then never really did or turn into much of anything interesting, really. Whereas I didn't feel like this led me to expect really much more than it delivered on, so 
I was just along for the ride, I guess. Sure. Low expectations. It didn't sell you as trying to do anything, so it didn't really matter that it didn't. Is, is that what you're saying, basically? Yeah, and it did surprise me with, you know, moments of some really nice character or other animation that just kind of drove the per- added impact to the particular scenes. Mm-hmm. And then it interspersed gags just infrequently enough that when they did happen i really did actually like chuckle quite hard like the yeah one thing when they're talking about oh nia is such a free spirit and then it's like her as a statue of liberty holding an ice cream cone like <laughs> so, just like so random and i i loved it my art the art they used the little sketchy art they used for that was was perfect like uh, shades of 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 masaru-san right so mm-hmm. i mean i love that kind of stuff but um, I don't know, Dylan. What what, would you, what are your thoughts on the show overall? It seems like uh, we're like Mike and I are kind of on one side, and Sam's on the other. What's your take on it? <laughs> Pick a side. <laughs> so uh, I remember watching it and quite liking it. It's been quite a while since I since I've seen it, and watching it again, like I love it. I think it defi- I think it's the defining best thing of the you know the slice of life show that has become like this whole thing in the 2000s there. And I think you could look back at this and be like, yeah, this one's probably better than whatever other slice of life shows are going on. Um, There are definitely, I, I can understand it being a thing where you're like, yeah, they don't, they don't pull those threads like for nearly any of them, um, which is both good and bad because it is it's cool it's like okay but they also i think in some ways and i I wouldn't call it like oh low expectations but it's also kind of like it doesn't you don't ever really feel like genzo's gonna man up and do or say something other than delivering more rice you just you never get the expectation that he's gonna man up and do anything and you never really get the expectation that mayuko is either but uh I, i think it does have a lot of really nice interestingly done character stuff and the point where mayuko gets the most depressed is and she just like loses it for like a while is um when kotomi is like oh yeah well what are you gonna do with your life and she's just like i don't even know like and just she Mm -hmm. she gets uh out of there um uh so i i think it's a I think it's a fabulous show that I definitely wouldn't recommend to everyone like but it's one of those ones that I could easily be like if it were easily available which is minorly annoying like yes you can purchase the discs but it's not up on Crunchyroll or mm-hmm. Netflix I don't which think makes it's on it, any streaming platform Yeah right now, which so which makes it more annoying to watch but it'd be one of those shows where I could be like you know what you should watch the first episode if you don't love the first episode stop cuz that's like it is it is what it shows but if you if you like what they're going for there um you've got it yeah it, it doesn't uh, as they say get better later it it is what it is in the first episode yeah it does it never through. does misrepresent itself yes was, was i think one thing we can we should be able to agree on is what you mm-hmm. see at the in the app one is what literally app one ends the same as F13, like literally one, almost one for one, yeah. right? Well, so. I will repeat myself a little bit, and I think those last three episodes are phenomenal, Um, but I, I'm not sure it's worth the rest of it if you don't enjoy those, the, the, the first episode. The arcade episode, like, come on. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a funny gag, but like, I, I don't know. They were doing a lot of those that I thought were fun too, like going to and, get and the again, oil. And... I, I, yeah, the oil. And that's <laughs> the thing, is like they intersperse just enough really random, like how it's... 
like you you see random bouts of Yoshida being like a pyromaniac. <laughs> And yep. Like every time he's yes. front of the boiler, he's like gets demonic almost. I'm just like, whoa, this is okay. I I really loved the um the Chada and the mm-hmm. the, the alien uh, community meetings, uh, oh, and man. I especially so loved the uh, AM eleven PM seven because it's like <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, it's the best name for a convenience store that's like the laziest convenience store. Yeah, and that's it, an inconvenience store. Yeah, it's like, but also at the same time, those are like typical Japanese non-convenience store hours. Yes. <laughs> like, so, I, I, yeah, I thought that stuff was was really great. Um, one thing that uh, I also thought was interesting, like theme-wise, was the similarity in theme between this and Abenobashi, which came a little bit afterwards, um, of kind of things changing and how that sucks like the a big subplot of it is the bathhouse which i think is one of the kind of few real running plots in the show that i enjoyed um that just people don't want to use public bathhouses anymore um much like in abenobashi it was the shopping district right the shopping arcade were going away and, and people just don't Oh, I see. That's, that's where you're comparing. I was like, I don't see the comparison yeah. because Abenobashi is like almost, at least episode to episode, is completely different in that each episode is wildly different yeah. than the previous one. And it's great. I mean, that's probably, I would like to nominate that show to be something we all rewatch and discuss because yeah, sure. I've, it's probably been equally, I think we showed this in Abenobashi either on the same year in club or right, maybe back to back years. I know they were maybe. roughly close, but. They were both definitely made in roughly the same yeah. era Abinibashi as was well. 2002. Two? So. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought that was interesting to kind of see that same um, zeitgeist of probably coming, to be honest, um, from the older people working on the shows, um, f- feeling that as they got to the age where they kind mm. of feel like that things are changing and they don't like it. Um, oh, how... How... Uh... How little they knew that wait another twenty years and it's even more wildly even different worse, now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they're even crankier now. Uh, yeah, but I, I thought that was uh, kind of interesting uh, to me. Although Abinobashi came out uh, farther enough along that it could have been um, picking up on this from other people at the same time, but again, I, I think it's mostly just a coincidence of probably age. I mean, um, if I boiled this show and Abinabashi down to just, you know, moods, I'd say that they're roughly the same overall moods of the show, even though they go very different places. Hmm. I, well, I did bring it up to say that, yes, I do think they agree in some kind of, of theme and mood, although overall I feel like they're pretty different. Uh mm-hmm. I mean, if I may use this analogy, I feel like Nia is more, like, chill and relax, you know, like, if we were to use recreational drugs, like, it's Nia's more <laughs> like having a, having a joint and relaxing in the evening, and Abinobashi's more like taking psych, psychotropic mushrooms, is, <laughs> yes. is kind of what it feels like to me, but they both definitely like have there's... that mood. Some very powerful stimulants involved in Abinobashi somewhere yes. too. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. It's a, a, a proto trigger show. Um, yes, absolutely. That's that, I think Baba Novashi is definitely like where we see that distinct change in in Gainax from the 90s to the 2000s. I think Baba Novashi was definitely one of those shows that kind of showed the changing of the times in, in that studio. Yeah. Um, do you guys have any um, particular episodes of Nia that uh, stood out to you as like that you really enjoyed uh i want to say well i'm i don't want to put any restrictions on it uh, dylan what, what do you have any like favorites uh don't the, say the uh, arcade episode no the the special oil episode uh where they go down to the crater <laughs> i love that episode it is it's just it has everything when, that when yoshinen lights his arm on fire <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and like nia is like but the, i think it, it shows so much good stuff there because like nia is like she's crazy and she she is the wild card that you know makes things fun she has this ridiculous idea and they all go along with it because they don't got anything any better ideas and then she's like reasonably calm while everyone's running around on fire and uh, Mayuko's doing her <laughs> ridiculous scream and uh, it's I like the massive jungle in this crater that appears yeah. to be maybe a hundred meters wide from the top viewers <laughs> with, yeah. with man-eating plants yeah it's it's <laughs> yeah. that that's 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 my episode it's fabulous oh Mike what about you what's your standout episode uh, yeah that episode was definitely one I'm thinking about the one where Nia goes into the Forbidden Zone, just oh. that was an interesting vibe. Mm-hmm. I I had that one on my list for um, pretty memorable. I don't know if it's my favorite or not, but it reminded me if, if anybody's read um, it's a Russian science fiction book called Roadside Picnic. Um, I have not. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting it has a similar plot going where there's like this zone that's like forbidden. You're not supposed to go to um, because there was kind of a visitation there and there's like stuff there that people would go in and collect and then uh, sell outside to people. It's, it's a really uh, cool science fiction book if you're into it. Um, and if you enjoyed that episode, um, I recommend it. Uh, what about you, Nick? Um, I will follow your unwritten rule and and abstain from (laughs) that episode. But I would say, honestly, for me, probably second to last uh, episode when the mothership kind of flutters away. Like, Mm -hmm. for me, that was really poignant because you get glimpses. I mean, throughout that the last three episodes, you get glimpses of like, you know, really deep diving into who Nia really is outside of the insufferable character. But you know, when she when you see her just kind of standing there and and actually kind of just you know saying goodbye to the mothership like you you see that it was she, she you surmise that she had some kind of real deep connection with yeah. her and it makes you just ask a lot of these questions like you know does is does Nia have a special connection because she doesn't have an antenna or is it you know for other reasons clearly she was hearing messages from the mothership you know for the for several episodes prior so i think that was an interesting culmination and in, like it was not really a conflict, but it was still like a really meaningful event for a character. And and you get to see a side of a character that you, you know, don't see for really throughout the rest of the show. And then for her, it's not like it drastically changed her. She was still new mm-hmm. after that, right? Which I appreciated, <laughs> yeah. actually. It didn't, 
you know right yeah. like not people no people like i, I think is again kind of related like you know even a lot of people even after going through some sort of life-changing event don't necessarily behave differently it affects them for sure but they can wear a mask to try to kind of you know be themselves afterwards and i feel like that's what neo was doing because you still like the the, the last episode you saw her kind of just staring off into the window while um, Mayuko was talking to her about what she wants for dinner or whatever, and, mm-hmm. and he was spacing out. Like, that never happened previously. So I think that was a cool... Uh, second to last episode is probably my favorite, just because of that. Yeah, I feel like that um, humanized her more, you know, alienized her more, if you will. Um, kind of seeing that she wasn't all just the troublemaker, showing her other side, I think... I, yeah, that was the... I really enjoyed that as well. Although a, clo- a close second for me, if I may, is actually mm. the uh, the the rival bathhouse episode with oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah with the secret the... with the secret herb. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> the secret herb that was pretty obvious what it was as soon as we saw it drying, and especially yeah. because like a complete like Chiaki and Genzo were just so zany after that. Yeah. Like the way they were animated was even like incredibly bizarre, and I loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, speaking going back to the, the Nia thing, that did remind me of another kind of theme that I extracted from this show was the um, how quickly society uh, adapts to new things um, and they just become normal and kind of blah. Like they have this giant alien mothership and, and Chiaki is really the only one who cares. Um, everybody else is like, it's a thing that's there and it's always been there. And then it disappears, and still nobody seems to care except now Nia. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a. Uh... Well, it's like was Chiaki the only person who was in the neighborhood before the UFO landed? It's hard to tell how long ago that actually happened. Yeah, did they say? I don't remember if they. They don't really didn't. Long. They don't say in the anime. In some of the supporting docs, it says that it's been there for like forty years or something. Uh, they inferred decades because, like, yeah. for anybody and any young adults, made it seem like it was already just a daily, regular thing for them. Mm-hmm. Although I wanted, I do. I'm glad you kind of bring that up, Sam, because I do want to kind of talk up a bit about the. While yeah, people did treat this behave treat, treat, treated aliens like they've always been here. In true Japan fashion, they still are graded, right? Like they're evaluated. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm. Like, and they they're, are separate. They're yeah, there yeah, and they they're. Are, hmm. They. I mean, if you're a a contributing one that contributes to society, you're treated fairly, but you're still being scrutinized, right? Like when you look at uh, the character Karna, the 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 Chinese restaurant worker alien like she's chronically obsessed with being perceived as a hard worker so that she can increase her her status stature right because she's like she's Mm -hmm. aiming to be a plus five and i think she's like a plus three or something when the show you know when she's introduced so i think that's an that's an interesting kind of like I don't. I I want to. I want to give the give them the credit, the production team, the credit, and say this is kind of a, a kind of a jab at Japanese society as a whole. Where yeah, we oh, ad- adapt yeah. things quickly, but we still clearly delineate when things are different at a le- at, even at a legal level. Because right, the sh- when Mayuko goes to that that office or whatever, she's trying to look for Nia. She's like, she's not even registered. We only keep you know under fives to plus fives register she's, yeah. she's an under seven she doesn't exist i'm like damn that's savage 
Yeah, that's like, so harsh. That's so harsh, you know? Like, this character, this person doesn't exist just because she is a bum. I mean, yeah, she's an insufferable character, but she she exists. So I thought that was kind of an interesting subplot, like, like setting, really. That's not really a plot. Mm-hmm. It's just a setting of the whole show, right? And discrimination is almost like a constant in the show uh, to some degree. Right. Yeah. Even amongst the aliens. Yeah. Especially, yeah. right? Yeah, the infighting with the, within the aliens. Like, Karna, like, is so, like, high and mighty with everybody because she, I think, outside of the Geronimo, the actor guy, I think she's, like, the highest rated one in that group of aliens that's, you know, quasi regular mm-hmm. in the show. So. And I, I think that, um, you know, as much as I said, I did, you know, I, I thought that they did a kind of a lot of aborted plot lines and, and things like that. Um, one of the things that I did enjoy about the show is how they did kind of have these these things going on. Even if I don't feel like they really resolved them, it did keep it interesting, kind of the interactions between the different aliens and then um, uh, Karuchier, the, the restaurant with uh, Chie and her dad. Uh, I really liked that kind of interaction. Even Genzo, I really enjoyed how they had these things going on. So you could kind of see this world was fleshed out I just didn't feel like they fleshed out the story as much. That was, I guess, if I were to and, narrow down my complaint. And, and similarly, one of those things that I know, at least I feel like I know, upsets you, Sam, that they did not do is they didn't ever have any of the big, hey, let us tell you the exact history oh. of everything. The <laughs> yes. the super, uh, what's the term for it? I, Exposition? Yeah, yeah. The, they didn't have this. They never had, I can't think of a single, like, large-scale exposition like yeah chiaki said a couple little random things but it was no no exposition blobs you just like even about mayuko and her history and her dad and why she's living there and not with you know like mm-hmm. where where's her mom why isn't her mom around there what happened all these things and you could be like yeah they didn't tug at those things they never explained them but they also didn't give you the exposition blob Yes, I I appreciated that greatly. Like I I would much rather they leave those things out than to be like, yeah, I'm just going to explain to you in this totally unnecessary conversation about yeah how everybody and, got here. And towards the end, they did just enough to let you flesh out Mayuko a bit more. Right? There's that one scene. I want to maybe the second or third to last step where she and Genzo are walking back from. Uh, well, she's walking Genzo to the station, and he's talking. When oh, this was right after she had that conversation with Kotomi about not knowing her what her future is, and Genzo's like, you know, I think you could. Uh, you used to write such wild and wacky stories, and mm-hmm. you know, you kind of. I mean, that, that was such a strong character building moment for him. Yes. But it also set gave us way more context on um, Mayuko, right? Like, yeah, what, how what she was like, how she what, how she was growing up when you know when her dad was still around, and how. You know, she told had these well, and part of me was think was I think that's when I started to fill in the gaps myself and how you know maybe that maybe how, this is and this is totally me like projecting, but like maybe what we see as Nia under seven the show is actually Mayoko's telling retelling the story of her life growing up with this mm. zany cast of people that she that she had around her <laughs> is what i'd like to think just because that's a yeah. way to romanticize it i think that's a little bit of a stretch but i think that would be a cool it'd be kind of cool if that's ended if they had a little thing where it's her you know like drawing a manga or do a jinshi and it's actually the it's actually the mm. under seven because that's she decided that's going to be what she 
pursues. I thought that would be cool. Yeah. But, uh, that's even a cool if, way to frame it. Even if it's not the case, you know, that's that's my headcanon, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I actually, I really like that. That's kind of cool. Um, but they they did just, and then there's, like, little flashbacks. Like, there was this one towards the very end where she's having this flashback that was, at first, I thought it was a callback to that scene when um, Chia and her dad were walking back from the... Uh, the onsen and uh they they stop by that field and i love it when they do this in old animation where like it's nighttime so everybody's great like colored like dark blue because it's really <laughs> dark outside and they're you know she's playing with the fireflies and as you know her the dad says you know oh don't you know you should let it go because they only you know burn for so long and it kind of is this melancholy moment and then a couple of eps later mayuko has a flashback about when she and her dad were in a firefly field mm. and and it's just you know there's it was very short it was like two images but you know, you kind of see these, start seeing pieces of her, her childhood. And, you know, clearly she had some kind of special relationship with her dad because obviously she carries that watch with her, right? It's right. that men, the men's watch for the whole time. And that's, oh, that's a constant in the show. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 like, all in all, I'll say the show is, I'll give it that say that it's, it's pretty good. I think they make a lot of good choices. I just don't think hmm, it's done co- cohesively enough for my, my, taste to, to elevate it to a really high level but i still think it's it's a it's a good show um uh and we're getting close ish to the end but i one thing i did want to hit on is the the space jam factor of this uh <laughs> this show and that uh I, I so i had been looking anytime i see a url um in a show or anything like that i go open up a browser and try and go there um the first one i saw was nia under seven dot net um under is all spelled out and that's like a as japanese seo uh blog spam website now which is kind of weird um there is an official genion website that i went to which obviously genion doesn't exist anymore so those links didn't work but i went to the Wayback and uh looked at it and what was interesting to me is that uh, the site looked like it went down around 2016, but before it went down in 2016, somebody had actually put in the effort to convert the Flash website, since, of course, it's a 2000s anime website, so it was done with Flash. Uh, somebody had converted it to um, run it through one of those things that converts it basically to, to JavaScript and Canvas. Um, huh. And so it worked, and it was as obnoxious as you can imagine um <laughs> a thing from that time period was uh it also was pretty broken but then uh dylan you unearthed um where it actually moved to and it still exists uh the, so like the it, japanese rondo robe website yeah it looked like it had like everything as it was it even mentions that you need flash installed to view the website even though you don't <laughs> anymore <laughs> i thought that was wild and they have the sublinks in there. They have uh, links you can you can play a couple of the uh, couple of the soundtrack uh, things, but you need to have a real player installed. Oh Still, <laughs> wow, <laughs> yeah. In, in at least they removed the um, they deflashified the the front uh, item selection thing. Um, so that was nice, at least. So what you're saying is you'd better download them and run them through VLC because probably nothing else is going to be able to play that. <laughs> yeah, well, or you can get the actual songs in a good format. <laughs> Unless you want like this weird underwater over-compressed uh, sounding garbage. 
but who doesn't want the year 2000 real video experience? <laughs> you know, recently I have wanted that just to experience what it was like for me to start downloading anime in college off that uh, sweet, sweet high-speed connection. <laughs> that T1 line. Yeah, it's delicious. The whopping 10 megabit per second fast Ethernet, or yeah. not even fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think within the dorms it was fast Ethernet, but to the outside world it was still only 10. Oh yeah, and that's where most of the time I was downloading them from other people in the dorms who had uh, real media collections of, of Kenshin and... Uh, <laughs> Watching an episode in three parts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In like uh, 128p or <laughs> something like that. Watching Kenshin in real video was a great advertisement for buying the series because there were, you know, any time that you couldn't see anything at all, you knew it was probably well animated. Yes. <laughs> yes, true. Uh, anyways, I think that, that 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 is very cool that they keep that website alive. I always love to see that. It's, you know, just kind of a nice preservation thing. Even if you can't get to it from the original links, somebody, somebody somewhere cares enough to maintain those things and they they could easily delete it like most companies would and it also hasn't been uh monetized whereas you go to the page you don't get yes. 18 ads on it you get zero ads just like just like the what just like the web was back in back in the day or yeah, there'd be the like days yeah the good old days when they didn't make you watch ads to see the website that's basically just an ad anyway yes. yeah it's funny that looking at this website, it's so old that the uh, the amount of screen real estate that like it takes up, like in the main page that you go to, is about as much space as you actually get to see on a modern website that isn't covered by ads. You know, like if you go to a website, it's yeah. so covered by ads, you only That's get this true. tiny window in the middle. <laughs> so yeah, I'm guessing in huh. 2000 they were probably still trying to fit into 800 by 600 for some people or thereabouts. Yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah. In fact, they might even have a thing on the website I have to check it that says designed for uh something like that. Works works best in uh in Netscape Netscape Navigator. Navigator 3. Yes. You know, and this that's very much in line with the with the show's whole vibe of being like, oh yeah, these old things like that. You know, these old towns like on the outskirts and it, it's like a different <laughs> old world and it's there and like it's weird. They have the old weird old like tofu shops and stuff, but like it is kinda nice and just like, all right, and just just chillax and go to this website and not be bombarded with a hundred thousand advertisements. Yeah. I mean it's pretty easy to translate the crazed ufo blogger to you know just a slightly more modern platform without much change in her behavior <laughs> oh boy actually i would i fear what she would be if if it was a modern version of her yeah Scary. yeah she could be a lot worse that's for sure <laughs> yeah uh well we're coming up here on the end so uh i'll i'll give you guys a chance to leave us with any uh final thoughts so why don't we start with you, Mike? Any final thoughts about Nia? <laughs> Wrapping this show into one final thought. Good luck. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed this and was glad to revisit it again and would encourage people who aren't too put off by the lack of exposition and lore to just have fun with it. That's the good part is the lack of exposition. Um, Nick, how about you? Um, I agree with Mike, but I want to throw in, because we didn't even get to talk about the opening and ending. Oh, yeah, the yeah. opening. Talk, talk about such unique 
songs they used. Mm-hmm. Like, there is not a single opening that I can think of in my entire anime watching history that is even remotely similar to Kokomadoide. Like, mm-hmm. such an. I mean, it, used, it opens with a church organ, like, and then uses like a, a couple of xylophone notes and that. That super raspy cigarette smoker voice. <laughs> That's all and, I like, remember. <laughs> Japanese equivalent of Tom Waits. <laughs> and like, oh, it's such a unique... And then the animation, too. Like, oh, that's such a cool... Yeah. Like, it's the most Abe opening, right? Like, it's so sty- it's so stylish and so cool. Mm-hmm. And then um, the ending is like, so happy-go-lucky. And then it's freaking uses steel drums and like a ukulele which you would never hear anymore. And it's just, yeah, I, I love both. And they're both super unique. And I think they are the perfect, like, uh, appetizer and nightcap to, to an episode of the show. I think they encapsulate it perfectly. So if anything, mm-hmm. uh, wa- watch the opening. Uh, watch the opening, at least. The ending, I think it's going to be a bit more divisive, but the opening is so unique. I, I challenge yeah. anybody to find something even remotely in the same style as Kokomado Oide. That's, Everybody that's... who watches it gets that. That's, that is extremely memorable. Just that, that vocal, even. Yep. Just that. Uh, Dylan, how about you? Yeah, I was going to echo the same things that Mike said. I'm glad other people are like, you know what, the show, it, it is still really cool. Uh, the, I love the, the opening. The ending, I think, is great. I think it, I think it has a lot of the same vibes and and stuff in a different way that matches with this story this show that they they everyone gives like the crazy mad props for cowboy bebop's ending where it is kind of like this little kind of like story and vignette and expands a little bit and you get to see stuff but it's still in the same style of the show and i love the song um and yeah the music is great like the guy who did the music for it is like he's just like some Japanese ukulele player. He's never done anything else for an anime ever. Uh, he's released a best selection of his ukulele playing like Hawaiian ukulele stuff, and like his website is also a a way back machine. Without <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's a super super way back machine website. So yeah, I um, love it. Yeah, I I really I really love this show and I'm super annoyed that it is nearly impossible to purchase it. The Blu-ray that Discotech released is out of print. You can't buy it new off of Right Stuff slash Country Rule Store. Um Oof. and that sucks. Yeah. It's another show that you know, one can hope because they still have a license that they, you know, repress it, but or get it up on a service somewhere, but it, it just it just sucks. Cause it'd be like, oh, dude, you, you should totally check out the show. It's really cool. And they're like, oh, how can I watch it? I'm like, I can lend you my DVDs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, were you not were you not able to purchase the Blu-ray, Dylan? Did you not even? Did you just assume it was sold out and, and not I, over? Yeah, I think so. And I had my old DVDs, and so okay. I, I went, because I, I want to say I uh, I think I just yeah. got I, I think Amazon had some leftover stock because I got mine off of Amazon fairly recently. So, mm, like when okay. I, when I uh, when I bought when I bought Gunbuster, I want to say I was able to get it. I I did not look on uh, I did not look on Amazon um, yet for it, but uh, so anyways, those are my words. I love it. It's a great show. Yeah. Um, as much as I uh, 
I, I as much many mean things as I said about the show, um, I, I do. I, I, I hope it gets across that I still enjoyed the show uh, a lot, and I, I do think everybody it's worth checking out. But unlike like what's said, if you don't like the first episode, well, you can just stop there. But if you do like the first episode, well, it's you, it's basically that, and then it has a really great ending. Um, it, and it is a shame how hard it is to find. I, I actually had to watch mine on YouTube because I don't know where my discs are. Uh, um, but there's a there's there's a kind of a sub thing. Maybe you can do an episode someday on like the way physical media is going away, and pretty soon it's going to be hard to find a lot of things. I fear. Um, but I can't believe you guys talked about the opening and the ending, but didn't mention the India facts at the end of every episode. <laughs> oh God, those are Indian facts. They're so great. I love it. So great. It's I, so hetare. Love that. Yes. <laughs> so. Great show. Um, all right. So next time uh, we meet, we will be discussing the winter 24 season. Um, we're going to be about midway through by that time. So uh, yeah, look forward to that. Catch some shows and then uh, follow along with us. With that, this is AMO Kenzoku signing off. Sarabha. Sarabha.